marble machine. <sighs> Sorry, listeners. I am alone in the attic today, sweeping up a few bad ideas and throwing them in the garbage bin on the ceiling above the marble machine, where they can't escape. Yes, listeners, ideas can escape. And not only that. From what the machine told us, if the wrong ones escape too often, this can become a real problem. There is something I must tell you. Oh, by the way, if you're wondering, Tim is still outside eating up the sounds of the world. But no, that's not what I wanted to tell you. Sorry for getting sidetracked. It's about the nature of the marble machine. As I correctly assumed, the marble machine is here for a reason. I still don't know exactly why, but I did persuade Tim to talk to it and ask if there is a reason for it being here. It didn't answer the question directly at first, but instead started grumbling, which, as you might have heard, it is still continuing to do. Besides the grumbling, it told Tim that if it were not here, the consequences would be fatal at best and apocalyptic at worst. Apparently, the attic is one of the few places in our world where new ideas are born. Raw ideas. Raw ideas, listeners. Millions of them in all shapes and sizes. From this birthplace, the ideas spread out all over the world. The nature of ideas is to be attracted to people. Certain people are more likely to attract ideas. Especially children, but also creative people. Musicians, artists painters, writers or inventors, and even scientists. Some people can be real magnets to these free-floating ideas. Also, ideas can form clusters and become ideologies. These can be picked up by groups of people, or even whole nations. Now this is where it gets interesting. If too many bad ideas attach to a group of people, things can get messy. The attic, like every other place that gives birth to ideas, has a marble machine to regulate everything and filter the ideas. If all goes well, by telling the stories you have heard so far, the machine releases a nice, healthy mix of ideas and sets them free. And that's pretty much all the machine told us so far. But I am quite sure that Tim and I are sort of like the marble machine's helpers for a greater cause. By collecting the invisible ideas, categorizing them into a shelf and feeding them to the marble machine, we are hopefully playing our part and contributing to a healthier spread of ideas across the world. At least that is what I tell myself, because it does sound better than saying my friend Tim and I have become mind slaves to the hypnotic glowing machine that lives in our landlord's attic. Speaking of Mr. Pitterit, I was wrong thinking that only I can understand Tim's sound effect language. This morning I happened to overhear Tim and our landlord having a perfectly good small talk about the weather. Oh, here you are, Tim. I was just talking about you. Tim says hi, listeners. Maybe a good new vocabulary to remember for today. So, Tim, I, um, finished cleaning the attic. Should we get right to the last yin-yang green marble? What do you mean, no? Why not? Look? Look at what? Oh. Oh my. What in the world? Listeners, something is sticking out of the part of the marble machine where the marbles usually come out, but... 
This is no marble. <laughs> Listeners, the marble machine just spat something into the room. Or someone, rather. This is definitely not a marble. It's a small, hairy little fellow with chubby cheeks, huge round eyes, bushy dark eyebrows, and a funny pointed hat. Oh boy, where am I? Wait a minute. I recognize this voice. That's Pimpkin from the Marble Keeper story. Oh, Tim says the characters from the story are oozing out of the machine because the marbles are overly ripe. Apparently we took too long to tell one story. What should I do? Stuff him back in? Really? Well, since you are the one with the telepathic connection, I guess I'll just have to trust you on this one. Oi! Let me go, you mean old giant monster! So sorry, Sir Pimpkin. I don't mean to be rude. Here you go, back into the machine with you. Okay. <clears throat> what now? Eat the marble quick. Yes, yes, of course. We don't want any more ideas or characters from the story manifesting themselves in the attic. Have fun, listeners. The Marble Keeper Written and narrated by Jacob Graff Recorded and edited by Tim Hoefer Part 4 Chapter 7 After one last strenuous ascent, they reached the top of the hill. Claudia stared down at the plains. The grass on them grew taller than most trees she knew, and with the wind blowing through the fields, it seemed to her like she was walking into an ocean of green blades. And then, looking towards the horizon, she saw the Unicorn Queen's castle. It stood there, tall and proud, its marble towers gleaming and sparkling magnificently. Rays of sunlight reflected on the stone, making it more beautiful still. Pimpkin held her hand, and as they entered the high fields, they both became visible again. The potion, Claudia said. It stopped working. I know, milady Claudia. Don't worry. We're on neutral ground now. No one will harm us here. Soon you will bring your grandfather's marble to where it belongs. Pimpkin moved swiftly through the high fields, and Claudia tried to keep up with him as good as possible. Then, suddenly he came to a halt. Quiet, milady. Methinks something is moving through the grass. Before he could finish his sentence, a huge tiger paw came out of the grass and pushed Pimpkin's body down to the ground, trapping him like a mouse. Another tiger in human form sneaked up behind Claudia so fast, she didn't even realize the attack until she felt the sharp claws being held against her chest. See? A familiar voice shrieked. I told you that I knew where to find them, did I not? Grimalda, accompanied by another tiger warrior, appeared amid the grass. You! Claudia screamed at her. Why, yes, my dear. You lied to us. I would do no such thing, my dear, Grimalda said. You broke your promise. I promised no spell that would hurt you or the wood elfling. The potion's effect has already worn off, my dear, and here you stand before me, unharmed. And the wood elfling? She said, turning her head to Pimpkin. Well, I must admit he seems to be in a bit of pain at the moment, but that has nothing to do with the potion I gave you. You tricked us, Claudia shouted. 
The devilish grin returned to Grimalda's face. Yes, that, I'm afraid, is true, my dear. But don't tell me you weren't expecting it. The Tiger King pays a high reward to those who help him find the mortal witch. How'd you do it, you filthy hag? Pimpkin squealed from underneath the giant tiger paw. Why, the memory, of course, Grimalda cackled. It was almost too simple. The mortal child knew that the Tiger King had broken the truce of the high fields and that he had his guards march on neutral ground. She had heard it from two of his guards. All I needed to do was take that memory from her so that you would lead her right into my trap. Then I informed the tiger guard and hurried to the fields as fast as I could. <laughs> what shall I say? Here we are, my dears. I must thank you. The king will build me a new cottage. Maybe even a small castle for this. Enough talk, the tiger warrior who was in charge of the guard ordered. Back to the hills. We will camp there for the night and send news to the king and then await his orders. Claudia was glad to see that Pimpkin had meanwhile gotten up by himself and obviously wasn't hurt too bad. The leader of the guard let out a roar so loud that it echoed back from the hillsides. Other tiger warriors appeared as they walked across the high fields, and by the time they had reached the bottom of the hills, Claudia counted at least twenty tigers. A young warrior with eyes the color of green fire was called to the leader of the guard and assigned to inform the Tiger King that the mortal witch had been caught. That night, Pimpkin and Claudia were tied against a tree and left there without food or water. It was still dark when Claudia heard the sound of horns and trumpets from afar. The tiger warrior with the green eyes had returned and came rushing down the hills. The king has come to see his prisoners, he shouted. Within seconds, the whole camp was awake. A tent and a wooden chair with a huge bearskin to heat the ground was set up for the king's arrival. The sunset and a waterfall of golden black stripes colored the hillsides as hundreds of tiger warriors came marching down. Here and there, flags were held up, showing a tiger paw crossing with a spear, the traditional symbol of the fay of the tiger court. The tigers assembled in two rows, bowing down to their knees and leaving a path between them and the chair of the king. When everyone had taken their place, seven huge tigers clad in bronze armor came walking down the aisle. Amid them, even taller than the seven beasts that guarded him, marched an enormous Caspian tiger. The color of its stripes was a unique mixture of brown and cinnamon, and it made him stand out among all other tigers. The guard who had taken Claudia prisoner came from out of the ranks and into the aisle bowing low before his king. Your Grace, please excuse the inadequate welcoming ceremony. We... Enough! The king's voice roared. And even the wind fell silent as he changed from his feline form into an eight feet tall man. I didn't become king of the tiger court because I like to sit on silk, drink wine, and live idle. Show me the prisoners. Claudia felt her heart tremble as the king came closer. He bent down to her, nearly touching her face, and began sniffing her up and down. A child, he murmured, and by lashing a claw out at the ropes that kept her tied to the tree, he freed her. Then he went over to Pimpkin and did the same. Slowly and with long strides, he moved back to Claudia. She noticed the huge scar that ran all the way over the king's muscled chest. Gently, he took one of her arms and inspected the wounds that the ropes had left behind. Who did this? he asked, 
Turning around to his men, one of the tiger warriors stepped forward and bowed. I tied the prisoners to the tree so they wouldn't escape, your grace. Tied them to a tree? A child? And a wood elfling? He shouted. We are warriors of the tiger court, are we not? The young guard nodded. And yet you hurt a child and an elfling that barely reach up to your ankle? Forgive me, your grace. I... Did you have orders to tie the rope so hard that the child's arm would bleed? No, your grace. I thought her to be a wicked witch, and if she were free to use her hands, she might have... Might have what? Strangled you all in your sleep? A wave of laughter rose through the crowd, but was silenced immediately by another one of the king's roars. Bring me her rope, warrior. The king ordered the guard who had tied Claudia to the tree. The king took the rope and spoke some words in a tongue that Claudia had never heard before, but her heart felt that they were words of power, each of them thrumming with pure fairy magic. The king let go of the rope, leaving it float in mid-air. He pointed a claw at the tiger who had given it to him, and the rope darted through the air and wrapped itself around the guard's body. The tiger warrior struggled and screamed, but the king's magic was too strong. It pulled the guard to the tree that Claudia had been tied against and wrapped itself tighter and tighter around him until it ripped through his skin and dug itself into his flesh. Since you are three times her size, you shall endure your punishment three moons instead of one, the king said, and facing his men, he ordered, Commence with the dances. A huge circle was formed. Some tiger warriors assembled in its middle, while others began to play the drums. Men and women alike started to move wildly to the sound of the drums. The dancers looked like they were attacking an invisible enemy. It was a different dance from the one Claudia had seen in the ballroom of the Unicorn Court, yet no less impressive. As the dancing continued, the king ordered his personal guard to bring Grimalda to him, and Pimpkin and Claudia were also accompanied to his tent. Grimalda! Hag of the Black River! What do you ask of me for bringing me the mortal child? Grimalda rubbed her hands together. Well, if you, if you would let me choose, your grace, then of course power and wisdom would be the first things that come to my mind. Although I must say my little stone cottage is quite chilly in the winters, so maybe another new cottage? You shall receive what you demand at once, the king said, untying a cloth bag that he carried on a belt and handing it to the river hag. Inside it, she found a small gray stone. The king told her that if she buried the stone beneath her cottage, another home, three times the side of her old one, would emerge from the ground. Second, Grimalda took a whistle from the bag. The whistle was enhanced with a spell that would enable anyone who blows it to call upon any bird in the kingdom and speak to it. And by speaking with your new feathered friends, your wisdom and power will grow. For the birds fly far and have many stories to tell. Grimalda bowed her hunchback before the king and couldn't stop rubbing her hands together in greedy lust of the marvelous gifts she would receive. At last I shall give you one more gift, but I doubt you will find it as pleasant as the first two. The king lifted his right arm and the cloth bag flew from the floor and over the river hag's head. Two guards 
that had stood waiting before the tent came in and forced the screaming hag down to her knees. You have violated the laws and used black magic where it was forbidden. And for this, I shall punish you. No, your grace, no! The hag screamed from inside the bag. I know the laws. Black magic is only forbidden if it is used to hurt or to manipulate. And that is not what I am accusing you of. Though, I suspect you have used black magic in those ways many times, too. Maybe you should have studied the laws of old better. It is written that black magic shall not be used against any mortal unless they are a great threat to our kind. I punish you for using black magic against an innocent child and sentence you to a hundred years of prison in your own cottage and you shan't speak to anyone but the birds until you have served your sentence. The river hag screamed in horror and rage as the tiger warriors dragged her out of the tent to her new cottage prison. Finally, the tiger king turned to Claudia and Pimpkin. Wood elfling, you have helped the child escape, and by doing so you have committed an act of treachery against your king. What do you have to say in your defense? Pimpkin wanted to say that the tiger king was a stinky old cat, and not his king at all and that he was committed only to the oldest lords of the wood elflings. But he knew better than to insult a king when being held prisoner. Your orders, your grace, were to capture the mortal witch. When I saw that there had been a mistake, and that not a witch but a child had come from the mortal world, I, I took her under my protection. I wanted to inform you right away, your grace, but, but your guards wouldn't let me. The king barked out a laugh and looked at the tiger warrior standing in line inside the tent. It seems that this wood elfling has better judgment than all my warriors put together. What is your name? Pimpkin hesitated for a second to speak his name out loud. But if the king wanted to do him harm with magic, there were plenty of other ways. Pimpkin Slimbottom's my name, your grace. Well... Pimpkin, Slimbottom of the Wood Elflings. Protecting the mortal child was an honorable act. And I admire any display of courage, especially coming from someone your size. You're free to go. My tigers won't harm you. Uh, um, that's very kind of you, my king, but silly old me gave the girl my promise that I would accompany her. So if your grace doesn't mind... I will stay by her side. As you wish, Wood Elfling. Pimpkin bowed very deeply and took a step back. Now to you, mortal child. How did you come to our world? Claudia told the Tiger King that she had jumped off a moving bus, which puzzled him quite a bit, because he had never heard of anything like a bus, not to mention any other form of motorized vehicles or machines. You mean to tell me that you jumped off this beast you call Bus and opened the gates to our world all by yourself? You're but a child. I must remind you that lying to a king is an act of treason, and regardless your age, I would have you punished. I am not lying, Claudia protested. What is your name? Claudia. Claudia Haven Lafay. The king's eyes narrowed at the mention of her last name. La Fay, 
Curious. You carry the name of a noble family within the Unicorn Court. Yes, my grandmother, Tora La Fay. She is a fairy of the Unicorn Court. She's the reason I came to your world. I must find her. Claudia told the Tiger King the story of her grandfather and that she has to bring his marble to Tora La Fay. The king lowered his head in thought. A noble quest for someone so young. I haven't met any mortals in my life. And those I did meet had all been cowards. Maybe it is the fairy blood that runs through your veins that makes your heart so strong. Are you aware that my court stands on the brink of war with the unicorns? I have heard this, yes, Claudia said with a small voice. Even if you are from a different world, the unicorn blood in you makes you one of them. Please, your grace, let me go. I might be too late already. Too late? Sometimes, child, it is not reaching our goals that is most important, but having tried everything in our power, even if in the end we don't succeed. By nightfall, I shall decide what is to be done with you. And with those words, the king left Claudia and Pimkin in his tent, where food and water was brought to them, and an extra sleeping place was arranged so that they could get some rest. Pimkin woke her just before the sun went down and whispered that there were two guards standing outside the tent. I looked all over for a way to escape, but it doesn't look so good, my lady. What do we do now? Claudia whispered back. Guess we can only wait. I heard the guards say that the king is going to march his army to the gates of the Unicorn Queen's castle. And I think he wants to take us with him. Well, that's good news, Claudia said. Then we will still get to the Unicorn's castle. That's true. But I wouldn't necessarily call that good news, my lady. Look around. All these stinky cats in armor, dressed for war. I would almost bet my hat that the Tiger King is planning an attack on the Unicorn Court. A guard came in and Claudia and Pimkin were escorted outside, where every one of the king's warriors and even the king himself were dressed for battle. Golden armor rested upon his shoulder blades and a huge bronze shield on his back carrying the paw and spear emblem on it. The warriors marched in pairs, one staying in its animal form while another rode on his back. Instead of carrying knives or swords, four long claws the size of Claudia's arms grew out from the back of the tiger's hands. Carried by one of the king's personal guards, Claudia and Pimkin marched along with the others at the back of the army, while the king himself rode first. They marched for hours and hours, and the moon was already high up in the sky when Claudia suddenly saw something shimmer in a pale white light far away on the horizon. It was the second time that Claudia saw the towers of the Unicorn Castle, and she thought them even more beautiful at night than during day. A horn blew and the tiger warrior stopped moving. It blew a second time and the tiger carrying Claudia and Pimkin moved to the front of the pack, standing right beside the king. Together, they marched up to the gates of the unicorn castle. Through the moonlight, Claudia saw tall, lean figures lined up all across the walls of the castle. One of them addressed the tiger king and asked for the purpose of his coming and reminded him that trespassing neutral ground could be seen as an act of war against his queen. Lucilia, queen of unicorns, the tiger king roared, ignoring the watchman. The basso of his voice shook the ground, 
and Claudia was sure that no matter where inside the castle the Unicorn Queen was, she must have heard his bellow. Chains rattled as the gates opened, and the bridge was let down over the moat. A few moments later, the Unicorn Queen appeared, all clad in white robes, leaving her guards behind as she walked to the middle of the bridge to meet the Tiger King. Chapter 8 I greet thee, Raman, King of Tigers, the Unicorn Queen spoke. What makes you wander these paths after so long a time? My heart hopes that it is the desire for peace, but my eyes see an army dressed for war. Queen Lucilia, the Tiger King growled as he came to meet her. I bring you one of your kin, a mortal girl by the name of La Fée. And in turn, I ask you for a favor. Ride side by side with me against the Dragon Court. Tis been fifty years since I have last seen thee, Rahman. And still war is thy only concern. Not war, but revenge. The traitor who is responsible for my father's death must pay. The Unicorn Queen sighed and lowered her head. There was a time, Rahman, before the War of Stones, when our three courts lived in peace as brothers and sisters. You would have risked your own life for the Dragon Lord back then. And now you call him a traitor? What has become of the two sworn brothers, Raman and Kaolong? Different times, different enemies, the Tiger King growled. Kaolong is a coward. You know as well as I that Kaolong is no coward. Call him what you may. He turned against the Tiger Court the moment he chose to flee and leave my father standing alone against the stone warriors and their wizard. He left your father because he wanted to save his people. The Dragon King's castle was under siege. You would have done the same, Rahman. You should understand the choice he made better than anyone. How long fled to his father, the Black Dragon, and let the White Tiger die? Only the unicorns came to fight along with my people on that day. I am glad you remember that, Rahman. And yet you stand here before me, dressed for war. Do you want to make me your enemy too? Is that why you're here? Anyone who defends Kaolong is my enemy. I have sworn an oath. You remember the magic symbol my father and the Dragon King forged as a symbol of their union? Of course, the Unicorn Queen answered. The black and white circle. A black dragon with a white eye and a white tiger with a black eye united in trust and brotherhood. A symbol of peace between your courts. My first act as a king when my father died was to destroy that symbol and cast it away into another world. I swore an oath that the tigers will remain at war with the dragons until there comes a day when the circle returns to our world. Rahman, many things have changed since then, the Unicorn Queen said, her deep blue eyes meeting with those of the Tiger King. Enough talk, Rahman said and turned away. Bring forth the child. The tiger carrying Claudia and Pimpkin came to his side. Is this the mortal witch that the White Queen has made everyone talk about? 
A child? the Unicorn Queen asked. Not just a child, the Tiger King answered. The magic she bears is stronger than that of most witches. It is in fact the purest and strongest kind known to me. See for yourself. The Unicorn Queen touched Claudia's chest with the tip of her fingers. Fairy blood, she whispered. Unicorn blood. Speak your full name, child, the Tiger King ordered. Claudia Haven Le Fay, the seed of true love, the Unicorn Queen whispered. And then she turned to the Tiger King with furious eyes. How dare you take a child of my blood as your prisoner? The Tiger King bared his fangs in reply. It is not my intention to harm or hold her prisoner. The child shall be my gift to you if you ride into battle with the Tiger Court. Once we have defeated the Dragon Lord, there will finally be peace. You fool! You disrespect our truce. Tread over the high fields, dressed for war. Invade my threshold. And now you insult me by showing me a child of unicorn blood that you have taken prisoner. Her forehead began to sparkle as the long, sharp horn grew out from under her skin. The Tiger King growled and claws lashed out from his hands as the two of them stood facing each other, the lust for blood gleaming in both their eyes. Stop! Claudia said, her voice determined as she walked between the two of them. Pimpkin jumped up and down nervously like a bouncing ball when he saw Claudia interfere. The Unicorn Queen and the Tiger King looked down at Claudia in amazement. Your, um, your, your graces? I don't wish to be impolite, and it really looks like you have something very important to discuss. I promise I won't keep you long, but I have to know if my grandmother is still alive. Please, please tell me, Claudia begged. Pimpkin was nervously biting his knuckles and pulling out his own hair, but then he decided to help. Your magic! Your magic! It binds her to you! Pimpkin yelled. Call her name, Milady Claudia! If your grandmother is of your blood and still alive, she will hear you! Claudia traded glances with Pimpkin, and then shouted out her grandmother's name as loud as she could. Tara Le Fay! There was a clattering of hooves at the gate of the castle, and one of the queen's guards, a white unicorn with a dark and wavy mane, trod forward onto the bridge. My blood! The unicorn spoke, and with a thunderous neigh and tiny sparkles of fire, Tora La Fay took on her human form. Grandmother? Claudia asked. Lady Tora, get back to the gates at once, the unicorn queen ordered. My queen, Tora spoke, and moved backwards following the queen's order, but never taking her eyes off Claudia. In that very moment, a strange and shimmering light shone through Claudia's raincoat pocket and pushed upwards as if it was trying to get out. Claudia opened the pocket and her grandfather's marble floated out into the air. The higher it floated, the bigger the marble became. And then it started to change color and white fog started to mix in with the blackness. Everybody, even the Unicorn Queen and the Tiger King, were watching the magic marble as it slowly passed through the air and then stopped and just hung there, floating over the bridge. By that time, it was no longer a marble, but a circle the size of a small hut. One half of the circle was colored by white fog, with a little black spot in its middle. The other half was colored by black fog, with a white spot in its center. 
just like a huge yin and yang sign. By Mab, the circle of peace. Impossible, the Tiger King whispered to himself. Everyone stood still, watching, as something inside the circle moved, and black and white light shone onto the bridge, creating the silhouette of a young man. When the silhouette was complete, a tiny star floated out of the circle and into the young man's chest, coloring him with the spirit of life. Grandpa, Claudia said in amazement. John, Tora gasped uncertain. The marble keeper walked up to Tora Le Fay, touched her hand and sighed. My love, all my life and longer, I have been waiting for this moment. And as he gently embraced his true love, tears of happiness filled both their eyes. Taking Tora by his hand, the marble keeper turned towards his granddaughter on the other side of the bridge. Hey, little princess, the marble keeper said, his heart laughing as he spoke the words. Look at you, standing bravely between a king and a queen of fairy. You make me proud. Then he turned, bowing to his knees and addressing the unicorn queen. My queen, will you grant me the favor and let my grandchild meet her grandmother? If the unicorn queen was moved at all by the display of magic she had just witnessed, her face didn't show it, but the fact that John Haven had returned after his death bound her to a promise she had made. It is a rather inconvenient moment for you to show up, but it seems that the magic you feel for your lady has proven to be true love after all, John Haven, marble keeper of the mortal world. And as I am bound to my word, of course, your grandchild, the seed of true love, shall meet her grandmother. But I am afraid King Rahman still believes the child to be his prisoner. Your grace, the marble keeper said humbly, now addressing the tiger king, whose eyes were still focused in amazement on the black and white circle above the bridge. <clears throat> your grace the marble keeper said again, raising his voice a little, so that the Tiger King would look at him. I knew I would meet you here, Rahman, King of Tigers. I bring you a message from another world, a message from your father, the White Tiger. I met him on the river that flows between life and death, and this is what he gave to me. The marble keeper walked over to the king, reached out his arm, and in his palm there lay a magic marble. Rahman took it and looked inside. The marble showed him his father fighting bravely on a battlefield. Rahman's old friend Kaolung stood next to the white king, fighting at his side until at last they were cornered and surrounded by an army of stone-clad warriors with hollow, dead eyes. Rahman's eyes widened in shock and disbelief at what he saw next. Just before the stone warriors closed in on them, Rahman's father ordered Kaolung to take his dragons and fly back to his castle and help his father. Kaolung refused to leave, but the white tiger ordered him to save his own court and assist the black dragon. Kaolung respected the king's order, took on his dragon form and flew away with his men. In that moment, the stone warriors moved in merciless on the white king, and as he fell, his voice still roared out to Kaolung. Save your father! Bring the news! Long live my son, Rahman, new king of the tiger court! May there always be peace between our courts. Rahman's eyes filled with tears when he turned his head from the marble, and he faced the unicorn queen and fell on his knees. All these years I have wronged you, Queen Lucilia. He turned to face Claudia and her grandfather. And I kneel before thee too, 
mortal child, and before your grandfather, for opening my eyes and revealing this truth. From this day forth, I shall honor the circle of black and white, the circle of peace, and do everything in my power to restore the peace it once stood for. Something stirred in the Unicorn Queen's remarkable face, but she controlled herself too quick for anyone to notice. Please, Rahman, no king should ever have to kneel, the Unicorn Queen said. Stand and bring all your warriors behind the walls of my castle. By nightfall, we shall send word to the Dragon Lord and inform him of the latest events. A feast shall be arranged to celebrate a new era of peace between our kind. How long? The Tiger King sighed in a low voice. Trust my word, Rahman. Kaolong will forgive you. The Unicorn Queen spoke, and the Tiger King nodded and then ordered his men into the castle. Come, little lady, Claudia's grandpa said, and she ran to the middle of the bridge and fell into his arms. A family reunion! Reason enough to sing a song! Pimpkin said, joined them, and from the top of his head he started singing. Claudia Haven Le Fay, seed of true love, and shall I say, bringer of peace? The Unicorn Queen spoke. Come, come with me. Let me show you and the Wood Elfling my castle. Claudia didn't want to leave her grandfather, but she knew she couldn't just refuse a queen's offer, so she hugged her grandpa and followed Pimpkin and the Unicorn Queen inside the castle. For a moment, John Haven and Tora La Fay stood alone on the bridge and watched the sun and the moon say farewell as the old knight welcomed a new day. And with the rising of the sun, the love that had grown between them for so long was once more allowed to shine. Even though I was gone for so many years, I never felt apart from you, the marble keeper said. Those who truly love never are. Tora answered. I have always felt you would return to me someday, John. But who would have guessed that you would bring peace to our courts? Yet still, I cannot stay in fairy long. The river of life and death is my place now, and yours is here. The river's magic has granted me another six moons before I must leave you again. But every ten years, when the river runs dry, I shall be allowed to leave for another six moons. Then I shall count every moon till you return, Tora said, and laid her arm around the marble keeper. That day, the Tiger Court and the Unicorn Court celebrated a great feast of peace. The reunion of the three courts that followed soon after celebrated the courage of the little mortal girl named Claudia Haven Le Fay throughout fairy for centuries to come. The feast was great fun for Claudia. The unicorns and the tigers danced their magic dances, and Pimpkin created songs and poems for hours on end, and he even taught Claudia and some of the tiger and unicorn fairies how to dance the wood elfling Boogaloo, a dance that was usually not performed in public because it was invented by a wood elfling who lived alone in a tunnel deep underneath the earth where he couldn't see what he was doing, and so the movements turned out to be quite embarrassing and awkward-looking for anyone who watched. Just before the feast ended, the Unicorn Queen and the Tiger King held a speech. It was a speech that mostly honored Claudia and her grandfather, 
but was also a warning that the new enemy, they called the Nightmare Lights, was still a great threat to all courts of fairy. After the feast, Claudia was brought to a room with a beautiful silk bed, and Tora came to sit by her side before she went to sleep. You are braver than any fairy child I know, she said. From now on, you shall always be welcome in the lands of the dancing fae. Then, Tora la fay cut off a piece of her own dark wavy hair, and whispering some words of magic, she wove her hair into Claudia's dark curls. This will help you find me whenever you need help. Now sleep, and when you wake, you must return to your parents. But I don't want to leave you and Grandpa. Fairy will always be inside your heart, little lady, Tora said. And so will your grandmother and I, her grandfather said, entering the room. And what about me? asked the small voice from behind her grandfather's legs. Pimpkin, of course. How could I ever forget you? Claudia laughed and hugged her new friend. After saying goodnight to everyone, Claudia suddenly realized how tired she was, and when everyone had left the room, she fell into a long, deep sleep. When she woke, she was back in her room at her parents' house, lying in bed, fully dressed. Had everything just been a dream? She sat up in bed as something poked her from the pocket of the coat she was sitting on. It was her grandfather's marble, only that it wasn't black anymore. It was red, and inside it there stood a man and a woman in front of a white ivory castle that Claudia knew very well. I don't have to tell you what Claudia saw when she looked inside the marble. You already know. But I will tell you that she found a little note in the other pocket of her raincoat later that day. It was a letter from her grandfather, and read, Hey, little lady, take a rest for a while. Don't try and fulfill all the dreams in the world at once. No person can. But when you are ready for the next black marble, you might want to pick the one in the top right corner of the ebony box. I love you, and will look down on you from the river between the worlds. Until we meet again. Be safe. Grandpa. Welcome back, listeners. I won't go into any details as to where I am, but the last marble was indeed overly ripe. And a bit too much for my digestion, I'm afraid. Anyway, thanks for listening and supporting our podcast. Every little contribution on Patreon helps, guys. And remember, patreon.com slash themarblemachine. Don't forget to check out our website for news and behind-the-scenes material. And as always, hear us soon. Are we still recording? And be on the lookout for the next marble we'll drop. <laughs>